Happy New Year, everybody. It's good to see all of you. Happy New Year to those of you watching online with us as well. And man, that, that bumper just gets me pumped. I don't know what it is about it, but I love it. I told them to turn it up in the tech booth. And so if that was jarring and uh, really loud for some of you, I don't care, uh, but it's, it's great to have you with us. Um, uh, so today we're starting this new series, Jesus People. When I, when I was a kid, my worst subject in school was math. I mean, I was terrible at math. That was the subject I had the most anxiety about. I never could get good grades. In fact, to this day, math is something I struggle with. My wife makes fun of me because I still like will count on my fingers I, can't, I literally can't do math in my head, even just basic like math. I can't do it in my head. I have to count on my fingers. And so um, those of you who are like accountants or engineers, I have some friends like that. I'm, I just marvel at you, at the way your brain works, because my brain does not work that way. And so I remember math was always such a struggle for me in, in elementary school until one day God showed me something that transformed my math experience. And the Lord led me to the back of the textbook, and I found that there were answers. There were actual answers to the questions in the back of the textbook. Anybody else ever discover this? I don't think God actually was the one who showed me that. I think it was somebody else. But suddenly, it's like overnight, I remember this, this revelation. There are the answers to all the math problems right there in the back of the book. And so suddenly, overnight, I was a straight-A student. All my homework for about two weeks all of my homework suddenly just went up and to the right. I was getting straight A's. And my teacher, who was a very wise woman, uh, said, I remember her saying, Brian, I'm concerned that you are not showing your work. And the test is coming. And sure enough, she was right. A couple weeks went by, and when the test came, I was in trouble because there was nowhere to go for the answers. I couldn't, like, turn the test over and find the answers on the back of the test. The reason I tell you that is because we're looking at the book of Revelation for this series. And essentially, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. God gave us the answers to everything we need to know in the back of the book. The answers are in the back. There's good news. So when the time of testing comes, or the year of testing comes, and I really do believe we're in a a season of testing. We're in a time of testing as the church in our world right now. We have the answers. We already know how the story is going to end. We already know the one who is going to be victorious. So I just want to say to you as we start this series off, whatever is facing you in 2021, whatever situation, whatever problem, whatever it is that that you're looking down the barrel of in 2021, there's a place to go for answers. And it's not the government. (laughs) It's not Fauci. Uh, it's, it's not the stock market or a vaccine. Where we go for answers is the person of Jesus. And in fact, that's where Revelation 1, that's where the entire book of Revelation begins. It starts with a revelation of Jesus and who he is. And so that's what we're going to look at today before we get into the the first of these seven letters to these seven churches. We're just going to look at how Revelation 1 begins. And so it's 95 A.D., And John, the disciple John, has been exiled to the island of Patmos for his faith in Jesus, for for talking about Jesus and and living life as a Christian. And and what's happening there is we, we believe that Domitian was probably the emperor right about the time that he wrote. And so this is a time of great persecution. And John is writing this letter to other Christians who are being persecuted around the Roman Empire. And so let's jump in. This is the way it begins. 
It says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So imagine this, John is literally, he hears this voice, this thundering loud voice behind him, and it tells him to write down this revelation, everything he sees and hears, and send it in a letter to these seven churches in these seven cities in this time in history. So if we can just be really, really clear for a second, what, what Revelation is not, and people, all kinds of you know, ideas and interpretations of the book of Revelation, Revelation is not some coded message sent out into the world to be interpreted by televangelists with really bad hair and YouTubers centuries later. That could have been a great place for an amen right there. That's not actually what Revelation is. Revelation is actually a letter that was written to real people living in a real time in history under a very real empire. And it was intended to encourage and build up people who were trying to follow Jesus in their time. Now, now there's more to it, we'll, and we'll get into that. But first of all, if we could go ahead, uh, guys, if you can go to that, that map. This is where these cities were. So um, all of the cities, that, the seven cities that are mentioned are in modern-day Western Turkey. And so we actually have found, like there are actual archaeological digs of these places. We know quite a bit about these cities and quite a bit about what was going on in these towns. And what you're going to see as we get into this series over the next few weeks is that what is written to each one of the churches in these cities has something to do with what was going on with these cities so these were seven cities that were basically fighting for influence in the Roman Empire during the time of Domitian. And so being in the empire and being a part of it, there were these constant messages about the divinity of Caesar and about his lordship and about his eternal reign. Caesar claimed that he was Lord, that he was God. And so in order to actually function and live in these, in these cities in this time, you had to pay homage to Caesar. You had to acknowledge that. And so statements about Caesar's divinity were stamped onto the coins that they used, which we found. Um, if you wanted to do business in the markets in these cities, you had to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. There were, there were things you had to do to be a part of the market. And even with the laws that happened in the towns and the cities of this time, the laws all reflected that Caesar was Lord. And so that's the world we're walking into. In fact, um, Domitian, one of the things we know from Roman historians is that Domitian actually, one of the things that he did that was kind of interesting is whenever he would go and travel around to either to these cities or other cities in the empire, what he would do is he, he actually commissioned a choir to follow him. And the choir, Roman historians say, the choir that followed him around set would sing these words, and I quote, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power. And if you've read the book of Revelation, those words just sound very familiar. So the message of the emperor was very clear. He, it was Caesar is Lord, 
and you need to submit to the cult of the empire. And if you don't, it's going to mean imprisonment and economic struggle and possibly even death or exile. And the message of Revelation basically goes completely counter to that. And the message over and over again in Revelation is Caesar is not Lord. Domitian's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And his kingdom is the only kingdom that's going to be eternal. His kingdom is the only one that's going to matter. That's the message over and over again in the book of Revelation. Now, this is kind of an introductory sermon. I just kind of want to give you a picture of where we're going. And so what you're going to see every single week in this series is each one of these letters that are written. John, again, he hears this voice behind him and the voice says, write down and send these letters to the, to the churches in these seven cities. But go ahead to that next slide if you guys could. Each, you're going to see this every single week in this series. Each one of these letters begins with this phrase, to the angel of the church in. Now, scholars have debated what that means. What, what exactly are we talking about? Is it actually there is an angel that oversees each church in every city? Is that, and to that I would say, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I mean, that, that could be. Uh, other scholars say, no, that's actually a reference to the pastor and the leaders of each one of the churches. So whether it's an angelic leader or whether it's a human leaders, basically these letters are addressed to the leaders of the churches. So, so you're listening to what uh, the Spirit is saying to each one of these leaders in each one of these churches in this area. Now, before you go, okay, that's great. This, is, this would be a great series for me to tell my pastor what he needs to do. Yes, you need to do that, pastor. That's what you need to pay attention to and listen to. The leaders of the church should do X, Y, Z. What I love about each one of these letters is that it, ha- it also ends with a phrase. Every one of these letters ends with the phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoa. That was a powerful moment, apparently. (laughs) I didn't know, but I guess it was. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So before you say, oh, this is just about leaders and people who are in charge making decisions of the churches, no, this is actually a letter written to you. These are letters that are written and addressed to you. If you're part of the church, if you have ears to hear, what's happening with these letters is we're supposed to listen in with our spiritual ears to what God is saying, what the Spirit is saying to each one of these churches, and we're supposed to see ourselves in them. We're supposed to see our times in their times. We're supposed to see what God is saying to them as what is being said to the church throughout all time. And so that's what we're going to do. That's what the series is going to be about, is each time uh, we're looking at each one of these letters and trying to decipher and say, what does God have for us in this? How do we hear the Spirit of God speaking to us through this time? So John hears this voice behind him. Here's where it starts to really get good in Revelation 1. He turns around, says, When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Now, spoiler alert, I'm just going to tell you, this is Jesus, in case you hadn't figured that out yet. John turns around and he sees Jesus, but this is not 
you know, baby Jesus in the manger that we just celebrated at Christmas. Uh, This is not even the suffering Jesus hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying for our sins. We, We actually don't meet this Jesus in the Gospels at all. This is the risen and resurrected and glorified Jesus in all his power and all his glory. I I call this the butt-kicking Jesus. That's who this is. You you haven't seen him before. And he, John turns around and he sees Jesus. Now, um, the question, go ahead if you guys could to the next question. What does Revelation 1, 9 through 20 show us about Jesus? Like when he sees Jesus, there are all these descriptors. And, and they're kind of confusing, right? Like in our culture, in our time, we read those and it's like, what? His feet are like bronze. His face is shining like the sun. Eyes like flames of fire, a, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. I mean, we're like, what does all that mean? Here's what all those references are too. What's, what's amazing is John, of course, as a, as a Jewish person, would have known the Old Testament very well. When he turns and sees Jesus, each one of these descriptors actually has its root in something in the Old Testament prophets. And I don't have the time to go through line by line. Also, that would be probably pretty boring to, to some of you if I went through line by line. Each one of those descriptors, but let's just say this. In the Old Testament, the prophets, prophets like Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and, and many of the minor prophets, they all talked about this one who was coming, the son of man. Daniel especially call, talks about the son of man, talks about this conquering king, this, this, uh, the one who would have an eternal kingdom that would last forever, the Messiah. This is what they were writing about. And each one of these Old Testament prophets, they use these different descriptors. And so when John turns around and he sees Jesus, it's like it's a fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophets' descriptors of what, the, of what they saw when they saw the Son of Man, the Messiah. In other words, what, what it shows us about Jesus is that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one that all those prophecies were about. Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the Lamb that was, is going to vanquish the beast in, in, in Revelation as you read into the vision This is Jesus in all his power and all his might uh, as a risen, resurrected, and glorified king. That's the picture that that we're getting here of Jesus. And so what does John do? What's his response? It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. He's terrified. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. So John, when he experiences Jesus, he literally falls down absolutely terrified, and Jesus' words to him are, don't be afraid. Don't have fear. And the reason is because Jesus is saying, look, I've already given you the answers in the back of the textbook. I've already conquered death. I've already overcome the grave. If you think about like, what is the thing that we are the most afraid of? The only thing that really has the power to threaten us, it's death. And we fear death in all its forms. And 2020 was a year of death. It was a year of experiencing fear in all its different forms. We're afraid of of financial loss. We're afraid of sickness. We're afraid of losing our rights. We're we're afraid of uh, the church being squeezed and things being, you know, put upon us that we don't want. We're we're afraid of 
you know, what the future is going to bring for us. And Jesus basically says to John, he says, don't be afraid. Look, I've already conquered the only real enemy you'll ever face. Jesus says, at the cross, I was put in the prison of death. And in my resurrection, Jesus says, I burst forth out of the tomb and I'm the one holding the keys of death and of the grave. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus is saying, that's how I want you to live, not afraid and terrified. Jesus is saying to John, you don't have to fear the Demetians of our world. You don't have to fear the Neros. You don't have to fear those who threaten you and and those who can even persecute you and push you to death. Jesus says, because I'm the one who's conquered it all. I've stolen the weapon of fear. I've conquered it all. And so this is the final line. I love this, this line. Jesus says, write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. So this is where Revelation gets kind of interesting because there, there are two things that Revel, this, this book of Revelation is about. It's about things that are now happening and it's about things that have yet to happen. It's about the right now and it's about the future. It's about things that were happening in these cities in the first century in 95 AD. That's the now for them. And that's what we're going to dig into in this series. But then it's also about the distant future, things that have yet to even happen in our time. And so there are two temptations with Revelation, if I, if I could. There are two things that we kind of tend to do with the book of Revelation that kind of get us off track. And so if I could, um, the first thing that we tend to do is we tend to focus on the future at the expense of the now. Sometimes what we do is we, we tend to focus so much on the future stuff in the book of Revelation that we lose track of what it's saying to us right now and what it's saying for all time to every church and every time in history. Um, can I just say this? Over the last year, I've been amazed at the number of people, I mean, I would call it, my term for it would just be escapism theology, who basically bought into this thing of, man, I'm just going to fixate so much on the future and all these things that could happen and what might this might be and what that might be that I'm going to completely disengage from my life right here, right now. I'm just going to be bold enough to say this. If, if, you're, if you're caught up in that, if you're focusing so much on the future and all that kind of stuff, listen to me very carefully. We're not supposed to be looking for the Antichrist. We're supposed to be looking for Jesus. Always. That's the one we're supposed to be focused on. Who the Antichrist is, when he's going to come, is this it or is that it? That's actually not what we're supposed to be focused on. We're supposed to be looking for Jesus. In every situation, in every moment that we face, in every day, that's the one we're supposed to keep our eyes on. That's the one we're supposed to be focusing on. And Jesus says, look, I'm the one. (laughs) It's been all about me. It all was made by me. It all is made through me. And it has all been made for me. And I'm the one who's conquered death and the grave. And so don't get focused on the future at the expense of the now. God has things he wants to say to us right now. The second uh, temptation is sometimes we focus on the now at the expense of the future. We get so focused on the now that we get kind of sidetracked into fear and anxiety and scarcity and hopelessness. Um, If your main input right now is the news, if your main thing that you're spending your time focusing on is what the media is telling you about right now in our world, you're probably fearful, scared, anxious, um, hopeless, or, or maybe you've kind of bought into this like, hey, when December 31st ended and 
January 1st started at 1201, we just suddenly have magically stepped into this brand new era where everything's fixed. Sometimes we can get so focused on the now that we forget the great future, the big story that we're living in. And I just want to tell you this, if that's you, you can walk into 2021 without any parachute on, okay? Because Jesus and the promises that he offers us are true. Because his eternal reign, he conquered death. He's the one that we can put our faith and our hope in. He's the unseen reality of the world that we're living in right now. And he's already got the keys to death and the grave. And so here's uh, the question I want us to just kind of focus on. Where in 2021 is God calling you to step out in courageous faith? As you think about this next year, where, where is God calling you to step out in courageous faith? Where is God calling you to say yes before how? Where is God calling you to live with passion for him? I think about um, myself, actually, as I was preparing this message, I couldn't believe uh, the week that I had to preach this message for this week coming up. So this, it's January, and so this next week is uh, the week where I have to go in for my six-month scans, uh, full-body CT scans that I have to do uh, every six months. It's actually been like eight months because of COVID. I should have already gotten it done, but you know how that is if you've had any kind of medical uh, thing going on. And so this is the week I have to go, and basically I get these full-body CT scans, and then the doctor will tell me the following week what the scans were and if my cancer is still in remission. And so we get to this week, and I, the same thing always happens for me. It's like I don't think about it. It's not really in my head. And then we get to the week of it, and then I have a, a – it's a certain brand of anxiety I, I refer to as scanxiety. Because it's just this buildup. It's like, oh, I got to go in for these, these scans and what's it going to tell me? And as much as I think I'm living courageously, as much as I think I'm living completely with faith, uh, I find out this week, every six months, it's like I have this week where I find out that that area is not totally where I want it to be. Do you have any areas of your life like that? Um, I have a mentor in my life. I, I, I just love him. His name is Wayne Schmidt. Something powerful I heard Wayne say uh, recently, he, he said that courage is actually a byproduct of surrender. In other words, if you want courage, if you want courageous faith, don't aim for courage, aim for surrender. It's actually the under-surrendered areas of my life that I experience fear. That's where fear lives. It's, it's in those areas that are still unsurrendered in my life. Is there any area like that for you? Just like there is for me, is there any area for you that you'd say, man, I've got some fear here. Is it because it's an under-surrendered area of your life? Jesus is like, don't be afraid. Kidding me? What are you afraid of? Domitian? Death? The grave? I've got the keys to those things. Surrender is the key to having courage in our lives, surrendering it all to Jesus. The place where fear lives in our lives are the places where we haven't surrendered. When I think about where is that for us as a church, where in 2021 is God calling us to step out in bold, courageous faith as a church? Um, David mentioned it before. I think about this banner. If you were with us, and we can get a shot of that on, for those watching online if we could. Um, 
But uh, this banner we, we put up in the room for our Christmas services. And um, basically we talked about how Jesus has written his name into our story. And so as people gave their lives to Jesus, they, recommit, they committed their lives to Christ or recommitted their lives to Christ, we invited them to write their names on the white letters of Jesus. And so uh, there were 72 people that did that on our Christmas services here in the room. And then when the service got posted, the cool thing is there's been a few more people who actually have watched the service and have let us know we need to put their names on there. And we will get to that if you're watching. Don't worry, we will. Uh, here's what's even cooler beyond that. We're a part of a network uh, called the Zero Collective something that God's been stirring. And many of you, if, you, if you're newer to Frontline, you may not have even heard that term before. It's just a group of people going after the vision of zero lives unchanged for Jesus together. We have four churches that preach that message. There were four banners in four different churches during the, the Christmas um, services that happened. And so all together between the four churches that preach it, there were over 150 people that signed their names on banners, which is an incredible thing. God is on the move, okay? God is moving. He's not done yet. He's not finished. Our, our world isn't just sort of static. History is going somewhere. It's moving toward a reconciliation of all things. It's moving toward an eternal kingdom that is going to reign forever and ever. And so I just feel like God's been saying to me, and, and I, I feel like we need to, you know, just as, as the church, we need to say, man, 2021 is gonna be a year where we go after the name of Jesus, where we proclaim the name of Jesus in our community, in our city. It's gonna be a year of serving. If you've um, been with us, we're, we're, we have these serving projects all throughout the year. If you haven't signed up for one yet for January, February, or March, you can still do that. But we're gonna, we're gonna get out in our community this year and we're gonna serve. I just feel like 2021 is a year where as a church, we need to walk into the enemy's camp and we need to reclaim and take back what the enemy's taken from us not by our own authority, not by my authority, not by your authority, but by the authority of the, the one whose name is written in white letters on that banner, the living one, the one who conquered death in the grave. We have that hope. What are you afraid of? Seriously, death? Uh, I mean, <laughs> Domitians of our world? We have nothing to be afraid of. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, we center ourselves today around you. Um, you're where it all begins and you are where it all will end. And so God, we just thank you for this hope that we have in you. We thank you even just for these words that we see uh, that you've given us the answers in the back of the book and it all is a vision and a revelation of you and who you are. And so Jesus, we worship you today. We fall at our feet. We acknowledge you as the King of kings and Lord of lords in our world. God, would you show each of us, what do you want to call us to this year? What do you, where in our lives, God, do you want us to live as if we actually believe that truth? <laughs> where do you want to call us in our world to step out as if everything that we've just been talking about this morning is actually true and that you are Lord? Would you show us that? Would you reveal that to us? And God, if there are any under-surrendered areas of our lives where we're experiencing fear, we commit those to you right now. We surrender those to you right now. We wanna be people who live into the, the promises that we have in you because we know how the story ends. 
And we know the one who's going to be victorious. So, and we pray all this in the risen and resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.